Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I made my first steak the other night. Ooh, how'd it go? It was. It was. I was happy with it. Yeah. So it was. Um. It was rump. So it wasn't like you know the most tender of meats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was fine. It was. It was to my rarity. Um, there you go. And it was mildly spicy because I hey. put Ra's Al Hanout on it. How 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 do you so like your you steaks go. cooked? Rare is rare is rare. There like you as, go. As it can legally the way be. to go. Barely cooked. Just yeah. eat eat the meat raw. I mean, I would if I could, but that'd be a bit <laughs> bit odd. Um, no, like literally a minute, minute. Yeah. And then we're done, and it's yeah. good to go. But like with heavy resting time. Of course. Ooh. Must have the resting time. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Look at us cooking for ourselves. <laughs> We're sisters are cooking in for themselves. That's the intro to the yeah, for cooking our, podcast. Our, our spin-off cooking podcast. Mm-hmm. Add it to the list, mate. <laughs> <clears throat> Add it to the list. Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with rum and reprises. Reprises? Woo! Reprises? I know. I don't I'm, know. A, I'm a perpetual repriser. Yeah, uh, I think that's actually more technically correct, but it's one of those people have been mispronouncing it for yeah. so long. Well, it's, it's French, isn't it? Reprise. Well, I can't say that. Reprise. <laughs> um, I know. I know. It's one of the ones that's so it's so deeply ingrained in me. I have no chance of. Yeah, you'll never go the other of way. undoing it. Yeah, that's fine. I understand and I appreciate that. Um, hey, T, I noticed you're drinking there. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that you got in your uh, gullet? It's um, gummy bear infused vodka. <laughs> oh my god! Was it a white one? Uh, yes. <laughs> Good. Um, what well, I'm drinking? Ein mm-hmm. Radler. Uh, Gesundheit. Ein Radler. Gesundheit. Uh, German beer, I think, like, topped with lemonade, I think. Oh, like a, like a Radler. Would you call that a Radler in not German? Yeah, but in German you call it a Radler. That's, how dare you bring German into this? <laughs> well, <laughs> it might be quite difficult not to with this podcast why why jimmy why is well that? i'm not going to tell you exactly because that's uh-huh. not how we do things on jim atomics music but then eventually you're going to tell me exactly because we'll that's... see maybe maybe we'll mix it up um but no so the musical we're talking about today tomas mm-hmm. um was written by the one and only stephen schwartz the the one and only stephen schwartz well maybe not so one and only as you may think <laughs> Um, this is not the Stephen Schwartz you're looking for. <laughs> what a ridiculous Star Wars movie that would have been. What? Yeah. So, is, is it a different Stephen or something? It's a different Stephen. Because you know how some of these people have different names. Wh- who knew? Who Who knew? Well, we're talking about the one and only Mr. Stephen Trask. Who, apparently, his birth name is Stephen Schwartz. Who's who Stephen Schwartz? And what did he write, Tommy? He wrote Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. (laughs) To be free, one must give up a little part of oneself.
that was me rocking out. That was good. I it's I could hear you rocking out. I could see you rocking out. I'm glad you you wore your wig for this. Um, Thank you. I'm actually, I'm looking quite grungy today. You're quite grungy. Not quite the glam rock we're we're going for. That might be like post glam no. rock. My my wig's tucked away somewhere in the back in a box but, on a shelf. Know, um, I'm wearing a a big old plaid shirt. <laughs> shockingly, because <laughs> I never really wear them. And this could this could be a band shirt technically. Ooh, it could. He's got all this. The this Natasha show? Pear and the Great Comet of 1812. Now I can't say I've heard about it. No, oh. it's, new. it's new. Hey, it's kind of rocky. It's got, you know. It is kind of rocky. They're all from that neck of the woods. They are. And from, well, I guess Russia. Not quite Germany, but. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> in the same way that, like, you know, Addis Ababa. Not quite Germany. Yeah, like, I, I, I conflate Cold War Berlin with Russia. Um, okay. Which I think is a very Amero-centric thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know it's east <laughs> yeah across one of them one place. of them eastern countries you know <laughs> russia germany spain africa <laughs> and ta- you know it's east it's yeah. just east chile um yeah that's east <laughs> alaska some, some way um, yeah exactly I don't even know what country that is um so, and we get the angry inch yay um music and lyrics as we have already said uh by mr stephen trask and the book by the ever exquisite john cameron mitchell did you know the last straight play i was in was by john cameron mitchell I did not. Tell me what it was. I was in Rabbit Hole, I think, junior year of college. Amazing. I played the kid. And, like, it was one of those... I, I, it took me forever to actually realize that John Cameron Mitchell, the playwright of The Rabbit Hole, is John Cameron Mitchell of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, right, okay, yeah. Well, I, I actually first discovered him via short bus. And oh, we no won't way. talk about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what needs to be, because... Someone might be listening to this that, that knows me. Um, but yes, uh, so Hedwig. Uh, he, by the way, are we going to be doing Hedwig? Or are we going to be doing Hedwig? Or this should has we go a been bit an bold? internal battle of mine forever and ever. I, yeah. I've watched interviews with John Cameron Mitchell, who had, who originated the role as well and then wrote yeah. the thing. So, of course, is like the primary source. And he'll go back and forth between Hedwig and Hedwig. Yeah. Um, okay. As well as between pronouns, so this is gonna be we're 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 gonna have all sorts of problems throughout this. Yeah. Well, we're just gonna. <laughs> it can be anything and everything, and yeah. I think that's how apt. You that's, know, that seems quite appropriate for this right. show. Exactly. So, Hedvig, I, I I I'm a th- I'm a natural Hedviger. All right. So uh, I'm just gonna go with that. Uh, <laughs> but it uh, was developed at uh, intro. I mean, this is I feel like a quite a unique yeah journey to Broadway. So it, it was in, in not quite workshops, I would say. Um, <laughs> no, like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's as workshop as you can get in, like, you know, the glam yeah, rock. But not the, not the way you picture, like, you know, oh, we're going to workshop it before we bring <laughs> yeah, it to Broadway. Like, it was more like John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask would show up at these dive bars and, like, mm-hmm. John Cameron Mitchell would dress up in drag and they'd try out the Hedwig character for a little bit yeah. and then eventually turn into a show. So it took them four years, 1994 through 1998, and they were through yep. a whole bunch of venues and bars throughout New York and other yeah. places, I think, too. Um, yeah, it was mostly developed in uh, a club, well, a club night called Squeeze box at the don hill club mm-hmm. um in nyc mm-hmm. of course and uh we'll, we'll go on to contextualize that in a little bit 
Yeah. Um, a Jeremy Mitchell history lesson <laughs> that would probably be vastly incorrect, but you know that's fine. Hey, um, that's our, but we we strive to be vastly incorrect in this podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then it made its way onto the legitimate sphere mm-hmm. um, off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Played for 857 performances, a couple of years, wildly successful. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And didn't make the jump to Broadway, but I guess that would be kind of weird. Yeah. And it, that's it, something I want to talk about. It's not in their notes, but I do want to talk about that. Yeah, actually. yeah, for sure. Because um, it suits a smaller venue. But then yeah. after Off-Broadway hit the West End in the, 2000, in the year 2000 and then went everywhere yeah it, yeah it's this it's show huge. i mean it, it's it's hit the fringe like every other year um yeah. it's been in you know korea and like all across europe they you know it's been in berlin um mm-hmm. and then finally made it to broadway in 2014 yes indeed oh um and we translated loads of times as well which again yeah. not, you know not many musicals do particularly yeah. not many off-broadway musicals and and so, and yeah. strange for i would say such a you know, this ain't no Oklahoma. Like it ain't <laughs> Oklahoma. It ain't. Um, and yet, yeah, did really, really well recently. Mm-hmm. We'll all remember. We were all there. Yeah. Um, it won the best revival. Mr. Neil Patrick Harris won best mm-hmm. leading actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lena and, Hall. Uh, Lena Hall won featured actress. Yeah. yeah. So very, very it's successful. Fantastic. Well done, them. So, um, what's the show about, Jimmy? What is it? Um, well, I guess it's it's. A kind of pseudo-reality vibe, rock concert come musical, come, you know, yeah. biopic yeah. of um, this fictional character called Hedvig mm-hmm. um, and his band, The Angry yeah. Inch. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, I mean, I think on its base level, it's a very narrative story, but there's a lot of connotation and metaphor associated with it. Absolutely. Oh, we should we should also mention there's a movie, too, which you should totally mm. watch, also with John Cameron Mitchell in... Yeah, so it's, uh-huh. 99, maybe? <clears throat> Something like that. Um, uh, 2001, I think. I was only two years off. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and it's, it, it, you know, the movie is completely created by them, so it's not yeah. one of those, like, 20 years later, someone's made a movie and they didn't really get it. Like, right. this yeah. is the representation of the thing that they wanted yeah. to make. It's, it's a very um, successful adaptation, I would say. Yeah, I think it works really well. It works really well. But I, it's, it's one of those, I think, at its core, um, mm-hmm. because it is a, a rock concert, that's, that's mm-hmm. what the, the framing of the whole show is, it works particularly well on a stage live. For sure. Um, for sure. Because so much of it is, is that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Hedvig has with the audience. Yeah. Um, he says, yeah, in the show he says, like, where's your false wall? I'm not going to try and do it, Jeremy. <laughs> I said, um, there never was. In any show, you'd never see the actors if there was one. And it's that mm-hmm. kind of banter mm-hmm. that he likes to have. So uh, Hedwig is the discussion of a child from East Berlin yep. who... What what was Hedwig's birth name? Hansel. 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 Story of Hansel, a, a young boy from East Berlin, um, who half out of desperation to get out of Berlin and half out of love for a uh, United States Army lieutenant, um, yep. goes through a sex change operation so that they can get married and then leave East Berlin. Yeah, um, but because obviously the- we're talking about the days where you know where the, the wall is still it's, up. It's I mean, it's, it's yeah, it starts exactly. like you know all about the Berlin Wall. Um, And then the sex change operation does not go well, and Hedwig is left with what she terms an angry inch, uh, a 
the one inch lump of flesh where my penis used to be, where my vagina never was. Exactly. Um, And then follows her escapades, kind of becoming a rock star and falling in love maybe with this kid named Tommy Gnosis. Yeah. Um, who then like steals a bunch of her songs. It's complicated. This is a complicated narrative plot, even on its base level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's all delivered through monologue and mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Um, and, and not like your classic, you know, you were the barricade, listen to this kind of music. We're talking right. like abstract rock songs here. So yeah. it's, it's not, you, you follow the story, but it's one of those, you could listen to it 20 times and you can understand it more and more and more yeah and find different interpretations and different readings and kind of the framing device of the whole thing is that hedwig is following tommy across the united states on his like rock band tour playing Mm -hmm. crappy venues and he's actually supposed to be playing like in a venue you know on the other side of the wall behind the theater you are in right now watching hedwig complain and you know dole out her life story and yeah, so they cut to that show quite a lot, and that's that's kind of um, Hedwig's driving force. It, that's kind of what leads it to its climax. Is, is mm-hmm. this show that's always there in the background? Mm-hmm. Um, because basically, Tommy is uh, your name's Tommy. That's weird. Is, um, I was named for this show. That's not ah, true. of course. I know your mom's <laughs> a huge fan. Um, Tommy like kind of denies Hedwig, and, and you know because he was involved in this crash mm-hmm. uh it's it's really it's it, as i explain here it's like it's a it's a big story yeah i didn't expect it to be this complicated when we were explaining it because it's also un, like i think this the actual base level story is kind of so secondary to some of the metaphor and the yeah you know discussion of like <sighs> higher order level thinking sort of things mm-hmm. um like this is a, a show about what it means to be in love with someone and all about identity it's certainly like woven into the cloth of this show yeah um, and discovering yourself and where you belong in this world um in some really deep and interesting and unexplored sort of ways yeah exactly and we haven't Our- even mentioned uh, hedwig's wife yeah yatsik yitzak I'm never, I will never get it right. Um, Yitzhak, who is Hedwig's husband, gender is going to be so hard and we're going to get it wrong all the time throughout this podcast. So, you know, like apologies in advance. Uh Yitzhak is um, portrayed on stage as a man traditionally by a, you know, uh, female actress. Yeah. Has there ever been a male that's portrayed Yitzhak? I don't know, but there have been, I don't. Mm, I bet you there have, but I don't know. There, Hedwig often goes back and forth between um, cisgendered male and cisgendered female yeah. um, performers. I, it's been interesting. I have not seen any records of trans performers playing Hedwig, which is maybe something we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Um, but I've, n- I've never come across a, a, a male Yitzhak. And I guess if you have a male Yitzhak, that's kind of... Defeating the it point. kind of defeats the point. Yeah, one of the um, obviously one of the big underlying themes of the show is um, talking about and kind of messing with your idea of gender and gender identity, which yep. maybe we should talk about next.
I mean, I think first it, it's worth the same disclosure that we're going to have a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Gen- gender is complicated in general. Gender identity is complicated in general. Um, and this is especially complicated intentionally in this show. Yeah. J- Jimmy and I, you know, self-disclosure, cisgendered gay males. Yep, um, yep, yep. And so, like, we're, we're in the quilt bag, but this is not explicitly our bailiwick. Um, in the quilt bag. I love that. Isn't that good? I like that. It's comfy um, in here. Um. <laughs> um, and so, you know, all the caveats aside. Um, yeah. But so there's a discussion of, of trans identity intrinsic in this show. And mm-hmm. more mainstream articles you look up about this show describe Hedwig as a transgender woman. Yeah. Um, but other articles ask the question, is this musical inherently transphobic? And, yeah. this, you know, this is, our, I think, the patented hashtag Jim and Tomic issue of this show. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I instantly just want to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's what's interesting to me. So Cameron Mitchell's on record saying that Hedwig isn't really a trans woman, but is yeah. more genderqueer. Um, yeah. And so, like, more somewhere fluxing yeah, says, on the spectrum. He has, has a really beautiful quote. He says, um, she's more than a woman or a man. She's a gender of one. And mm-hmm. that is accidentally so beautiful. And I yeah. think that's... And I, I also, it's, you know, there are... What you see in these articles that ask, is this musical transphobic? And there, I forget which law of the internet it is, but it's like mm-hmm. when... When a news article asks a question, the answer is generally no. Um, yeah. The answer is generally, you know, the opposite of what the more salacious um, mm-hmm. answer would be. Um, and, like, they're always filled with, you know, there have been plenty of times where, like, straight actors have, straight male actors have portrayed Hedwig and, you know, even some gay male actors who maybe don't have the best... Um, trans vernacular sometimes like uh-huh. neil patrick harris infamously dropped the word tranny at one point which is yeah. wildly offensive to trans folk um and then immediately apologized and like darren chris has an interesting relationship with the gay community and is yeah. variously accused of gay baiting and being supportive and like is straight himself but you know kind of floats very nicely in the gay community Mm-hmm. And so it's often seeped in this kind of like um, cis straight male distaste or c- cis gay male distaste. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also you look at the show explicitly and like if we're if we're drawing hard lines, which I don't think we should actually do when it comes to gender identity and this sort of things. Yeah, these sort of things. The character Hedwig isn't well. There's an argument that the character Hedwig isn't explicitly trans because Mm -hmm. being trans in some definitions involves some degree of gender dysphoria. So like not being compatible with your birth gender. Um, And that's not why Hedwig gets a sex change. Hedwig gets a sex change to leave Berlin. Um, But then clearly when, you know, they go to America, Hedwig very much embraces, at least for the majority of the musical, the very female portraying side with wigs and makeup and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, to, the, the the thing that I always want to go for is that mm-hmm. 
if you look at when the show was created, mm. um, and some, that's something we will get into. I'm, I'm always the one to say this. Oh, it's something we'll get to in a little bit. <laughs> um, but that's, um, yeah, It's it was created at a time when, you know, we were really just kind of getting to grips with that and, and uh, trans rights and trans issues were, were starting to really come into the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, so, cer- it's certainly uh, not in the mainstream <coughs> news cycle at that time. We're now, mm-hmm. like, every other week, it's a different bathroom bill in a different southern state. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing, is I think it's a different... Hedwig now is different from Hedwig then. For sure. But the show was created then. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like John Carmen Mitchell and and many trans people back then would use things like the word tranny and mm-hmm. would use these kind of words that are now deemed derogatory because they've been picked up and yeah. taken out of these clubs yeah. and used as derogatory terms. Exactly. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And and also the character Hedwig, John Cameron Mitchell's on record saying like, there are lots of things that Hedwig says that John Cameron Mitchell doesn't agree with. Mm-hmm. Like Hedwig is anti-Semitic. Hedwig, you know, yeah. is this bash, brash, bold, unapologetic kind of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because, you know, John Cameron Mitchell is creator, author, performer. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to separate those two identities. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's definitely, you know, I, I was reminded of a, of a thing, apparently, I said a long time ago, but this sort of analysis is not about finding answers to the questions. It's about mm-hmm. asking the questions themselves. Like, mm-hmm. I think we could, you know, people could talk for ages if the show is transphobic. I think in certain ways it might be a little bit, but I don't, like... I know. I. I just. I. I can't. I can't see it. Almost. Yeah. Do you know? What I mean. I can't see it. The closest yeah. thing I could come to is when you do have, um, like, say, a cis straight male playing mm-hmm. the role. Yeah. Because um, I think I did see a quote from Darren Chris that was a bit like, "Fine. Yeah. Um, let yeah. me see if I can find I think it." Darren, uh, Darren. I find Darren Chris problematic. <laughs> yeah. It was just like um, he said. Um, as a straight, white, cisgender male, I get to explore all these things that are completely not me. And what's cool is it glorifies both this power in that and the struggle in that. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good. Like, no. <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. be glorifying anything. Like, you should be, yeah. you know, and, putting it to the forefront. You should be like, like, hey, look at me in my shoes. The, <laughs> the struggle I always have with these things Um it is so, so this is where we can speak from like our otherness being, mm-hmm. you know, gay men. And Darren mm-hmm. Chris famously on Glee played a gay man and was not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is so easy to fall into the anger and the frustration at other people about those things. Like, how dare you insinuate your judgment on my life experience mm-hmm. um, and like use your insinuated power as a straight man to like stomp down on on my gay manness mm-hmm. but then the like compassionate educator side of my brain is like no 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 they don't know they don't know they don't know, know. because they haven't done this and 
whether we like it or not, part of our duty to like move us forward is to inform and educate and help and like grab the hand and hold and be mm -hmm. like, hey, you don't know what you're saying is offensive, but it is. But that's okay because now you know and you're a kind enough person to not say it anymore. But um, I feel like I feel like with that, you know, he was in Glee for so long, and I think Glee did well at sometimes to mm -hmm. to talk about trans rights. Um, and, and certainly in ways that, you know, hadn't really been talked about before, especially oh, for sure. younger kids. Yeah. Um, and a, so I feel from that, he, he should yeah. know and he should be a bit more sensitive to it. But I don't know. I, I think that that's where I'm like, ugh. but that isn't that's not the show. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. That's a producer. Yeah. Uh, so to me, the show, I don't think it's, it's transphobic at all. Um, mm -hmm. In the same way, you know, it's in the same way if... There are shows that use the N-word. That doesn't automatically make them racist. There's, you know there's I mean? it's, context it's, to it's it. It's context, exactly, and it's what it delivers. And there's yeah. no character out there like Hedwig. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's important because there are, people, there are plenty of people out there who can relate to Hedwig mm -hmm. and who well, can see themselves in Hedwig. I think that's kind of the beauty of Hedwig as a character is that... She is everything and nothing. Like, mm -hmm. um, oh, I'm going to misquote the line, but it's something like, you know, everything you've thought up has already been thought up before. Or um, it might be from the movie, too. It's dramatically <laughs> misquoted. I'm sure someone will tell us the correct line in the Reddit or on Twitter. Um, Thanks. But it's, you know, the, the portrayal that all of these things are non-binary and are on a spectrum, whether it's yeah. you know, your gender identity or your gender expression or your sexual preference or mm -hmm. like all of these things. And even throwing those categories around is limiting. Like they're mm -hmm. all intertwined and interconnected and it's, you know, b beautifully laid out and that it's all kind of, about the origins of love and that it's a you know has this kind of greater purpose and that we're mm -hmm. all kind of bumbling around as human beings trying to sort this out and woefully unequipped to do so yeah exactly exactly um it's i, I don't know i just think i think it talks about it really well i think it's a great discussion and and it really is one of the only discussions out there and certainly in the musical theater world oh yeah um about about trans issues oh, so yeah. yeah to end have anyone who because I, I know that um after like dan chris made his comment about caitlin jenner mm -hmm. um loads of people then took that to mean that the musical was transphobic and, and it, the musical got a load of backlash from that and i'm like it's just that it's that classic thing of today where you read one thing and you yeah. make your whole yeah. history the and decisions for, about it for people who haven't read as a there's a lot of improvisation in this show mm -hmm. and as um an offhanded improv comment darren chris one night was just making something about like whether you're a man or a woman or a man or a woman or Bruce Jenner, whatever you are. And that comment was taken to be especially transphobic, which mm -hmm. I, you could definitely argue that it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he's, it's not, you know, it's not Darren Chris. Right. Like it's, being Darren Chris and saying that he's in character. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's also, I, I, I go back and forth on like, what's the right, what's the right level of outrage? You know, what's the right level of, um, 
mm-hmm. care for these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's. I mean, that's the thing. It's like this. This will be an eternal debate, and especially nowadays, where you know sensitivity is mm-hmm. becoming an issue in itself, mm-hmm. um, and people are being offended at being sensitive. You know, it's it's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, and you know, you see it a lot in stand up at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, where like, what's too far and what's offensive and exactly. what's not funny and what can't exactly. you talk about and like what is in the name of comedy? What where does the lines of comedy get drawn? Like all mm-hmm. of these things. Um, yeah. And it's it's safe to say you know uh, the, the comedy industry wouldn't exist without you know shock and awe. Oh, absolutely. Do you know? What I mean, the rock world wouldn't exist without shock and awe, and you know, a lot of art wouldn't exist without shock and awe. So you can't. We can't just keep, you know, squeegeeing things until they're mm-hmm. bright and shiny because then, you know, they yeah. won't exist anymore. It's also, I I grow very frustrated with the infighting of it all. Like, yeah. <laughs> to call back, we're all in the same quilt bag mm-hmm. and we should be learning to understand each other and accept each other and, you know, ask each other what our differences are in our own circle, as well, mm-hmm. like, for sure. And we there are you know bigger things out there and like not that it's zero sum not that it's one or the other but Mm -hmm. when we spill internet ink about a you know straight man in drag in a very gay friendly broadway show in Mm -hmm. a very lgbtq on and on and on friendly broadway show Mm -hmm. like let's let's spill our internet ink about other things too yeah as as vehemently and loudly like yeah yeah completely calm completely um yeah anyway it's complicated <laughs> it, it, and exactly that's the thing is it is and it will be an eternal discussion yeah um, and it, it's intentional that's why this musical exists exactly it's art welcome to art welcome to having a discussion about something that makes you think Tommy, tell me everything about the rock scene in the 90s. Um, I watched David Bowie in Labyrinth once. Dance, magic, dance. Um, I know most of the words of Don't Stop Believin', but that's mostly because of Glee. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And sometimes when I wake up in the morning, my hair looks very, very glam rock. Okay, that's I, great. I fix it immediately. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't be doing with it. You can't be doing with it. Um, well, no, I, I do joke. Um, <laughs> I think it's important to uh, kind of look at and discuss the, the context issue and when it was created because it's very much a child of its time. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, it's, it's not... It represents a world that actually kind of doesn't really exist today anymore. Yeah. Um, because it was everything that was happening uh, in New York and kind of the UK and, and a lot of places in the world mm-hmm. um, at the time. But it really was kind of hitting home in New York. Um, so basically, kind of the, towards the late 90s, mm-hmm. um, that was when Rudy Giuliani was mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, he dug up this old law, like probably one of these like historic laws that you guys have, mm-hmm. um, where uh, it was something you could just like shut down uh, a club just ad hoc mm-hmm. for, for silly reasons. Do you know Some, what I mean? Right. 
and there. he basically went through you know Manhattan, mm-hmm. shutting down all of these places where um, people, so many people, had found their safe space, and we're mm-hmm. talking many LGBT people here. This this is when you yeah. know it was what like kind of the second biggest attack on the scene since since stonewall yeah exactly i mean there of, of course these kind of seedy clubs are the watering hole of people on the fringes of society because where else can they go completely completely and you know sure they were probably kind of trashy they're probably kind of dirty but mm-hmm. that you, you kind of forgo that because you know that everyone in here isn't gonna stab you because of who you are right. like it it was a safe space and so um he basically swept new york closing down all these places and kind of made it into this commercial haven that it's become mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, this is this is right around the time uh, Lion King premiered on Broadway. Right, just, yeah, of just, course it was, yeah, 96, 97. Just pointing, pointing that out. Yeah, Not exa- that, you know, Disney has anything to do with it, but you know, just yeah. putting, that, putting that out there. Exactly, but it's a, a, a great example. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, I mean, the thing is, is it's a tricky one because what Rudy Giuliani did was bring tourism kind of back to new york i mean Um, there's an argument that he very much helped the economy like he brought the family broadway musical around if we're going to talk about like very local effects yeah um you know and Um, certainly some of these watering holes were some of these you know clubs and stuff were places for people on the fringe of society to go and certainly some of these places very illegal and bad things were happening yeah but um it was it was all kind of done safely, uh, mm-hmm. so there's that thing of like, well, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of fine. Uh, but anyway, it just it, it changed the face of New York, um, and uh, Don Hill, the club um, where Squeezebox, this night that Hedwig uh, was created, um, kind of took a hit, but it actually survived the the sweep, mm-hmm. um, and. That's how the show was obviously able to be kind of uh, created more. So they they made this night. It was a guy called Michael Schmidt uh, who, with his friend, basically created uh, this club night for the the people who weren't into like uh, kind of like I'm trying to think of a good way to put it, mm. like more like stereotypical gay clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is the thing. So at New York, you know, the LGBT scene got driven out into tribes. And there was, you know, the club right. kids were there. Um, you had, like, your new wave kids. You had your high-energy disco kids. Yeah. Um, and they're there wasn't the, really anywhere. They're the, hmm. the mean girl stereotype tables. Yeah, just, exactly. As, you know, exactly. communities in New York. Janice Ian will walk around New York and she'll tell you exactly who. <laughs> um, but... No, she, 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 Janice Ian <laughs> was not there, I promise. Um, but basically there was no scene for um, rockers. There was no scene for people who were into the punk scene mm-hmm. um, and kind of developing grunge scene as well. So what they did was create this night, Squeezebox, where um, queer performers could come. And the, the rule was is they had to sing live. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to sing with a rock band, uh, which was it, it never really been done before. Yeah, um, most of the drag queens would be lip syncing, mm-hmm. or there'd be some like weird kind of cabaret act. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the idea of just like a kind of rock performance featuring the kind of drag aesthetic and the drag, uh, I don't know, joie de vivre to use mm-hmm. a lovely generic term. Um, <laughs> 
it didn't didn't exist so that's where this created and uh john cameron mitchell uh frequented it um met up with with the the runners of the club and uh basically they allowed him to uh start doing the show because it was Stephen was uh played in their like house band like Mm -hmm. the guitar in the house band so he was like oh i know this guy who's writing a musical it would work really really well um and originally, uh, it was a it was more about Tommy, mm-hmm. and he was kind of the central focus. And then, uh, because obviously he needed to be performing in drag, that's right. how Hedvig came to the forefront, mm-hmm. um, and it became kind of Hedvig story, yeah. um, which I think is quite cool. But I've got another quote. I love my quotes, <laughs> um, and this <laughs> this is from uh, John Cameron Mitchell about the club. So uh, every time every time I do these, I pretend as if I'm like going to be pressing a tape and like hearing their voice, but we don't have that. Uh, so it's just me. Uh, so he said, it was the club that I had always been waiting for my whole life. I could just barely tolerate the music in most gay places until that point. But in terms of a full-on queer rock and roll place, that was performance-based, but also a place where, you know, you could slam with cute boys without fear of breaking their hair. That was the place to go. You know, it was kind of scary. You never knew what was going to happen. It was like punk rock just got invented by gay people at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always the Buzzcocks and Jane County and everything, so it was from heaven. Uh, so it kind of gives you that vibe. And it, it does make sense because, you know, the gay clubs that I like are mm-hmm. the the big dancey ones where it's, yeah. you know, sweaty and stuff. Yeah. Um, but there are, t- you know, there are times when I would go to, like, my local grunge club to mm-hmm. kind of throw it about a bit. But yeah. you could never do that in any, you know what I mean? Yeah. Any yeah. gay club. You would be, I don't know, destroyed. Yeah. You would just well, be like, what are you? And there's something... There's Why something are you wearing f- plaid? Right? There's something fun about... The, I think it's it's halfway between like a stereotype joke and absolute true honesty, but this mm-hmm. kind of idea of the you know secret gay agenda or the the queer code or yeah. you know these sorts of things, which like we joke about because other people find these sorts of things very offensive. But there mm-hmm. is absolutely a vernacular or some kind of shared experience, and you know like. Um, even when it comes down to like catchphrases and inside jokes that exists in the queer community, in the gay community. Um, And to see that represented in this performance night, which starts as something that seems like a really deep inside joke. Like if you go see an early John Cameron Mitchell as Hedwig performance at the squeeze box, you need a whole lot of like inside knowledge and background to get the jokes and the why this is entertaining or funny or interesting or sexy or revolutionary. Like yeah. you need a background to understand this and to see something like start with this Genesis and turn into a mainstream Broadway show, a worldwide yeah, exactly. phenomenon is exactly. really cool. Cause that's the thing is that, like when, when you're in drag and you're, you're seeing a drag performance, mm-hmm. you get away with, more things than a normal performer would and it is that kind of banter element yeah um that that they do and it's because you're you're kind of you are blurring the lines between character and person and Mm -hmm. gender and it's just kind of these question marks that allow Mm -hmm. you to uh kind of comment on the world Mm -hmm. i can't remember who it was and that's really really annoying Mm -hmm. um but someone Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) a drag queen has said that um Drag queens are kind of like mirrors to uh, culture. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they kind of reflect it back yeah. uh, 
in a kind of fabulous way. Mm. Um, and I think that's a great way of putting it. And, and here in this um, kind of queer core culture, mm-hmm. uh, th- that was exactly what they were doing. And there was so much to protest about at that time because their world yeah. was being shut down around them. Yeah. So this was this was the place to go. And it, it birthed so many big people. Like, um, uh, it didn't burst her, by a birther, but like Debbie Harry would go there low she would be a regular. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like big drag queens like Sherry Vine got mm-hmm. to take off there. Jackie Beat got to take off there. Um it's it's just like it's such a big part of LG, LGBT history. Yeah. Um, it might not necessarily be the one you know because you know the punk scene, right? Is its own, yeah. <laughs> you know, part well, of part of it's history, it's because so. we're we're for better or for worse this contemporary swath of you know queerness, say from mm-hmm. the 50s onwards, is very young in its inception. And so we're still kind of in the oral history phase. Like, yeah, exactly. We're, exactly. We're still in like the stone carvings on walls and like tell your children and hopefully the history survives. For sure. Like, you, we don't read about this in the in the history books. No, not yet. I hope we do. <laughs> yeah. I love um, on the, the door, this is the best thing. Uh-huh. Uh, on their door, they would have, um, this is a gay rock and roll club. If you can't handle us, fuck off. <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. That is so great. Because that was the thing is like a lot of you know a lot of straight people went there too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just it wasn't just for the gays because yeah, uh, you know they, in in the same way that you know loads of straight guys really just enjoy a drag show because it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. it's a great brand yeah. of but that that you let them know what they're getting into. I mean, this yeah. is we might be getting off tangent here a little bit, but there's. You know, in in Chicago has the same kind of mean girls tables at the gay clubs throughout. Um, And like the the bar I frequented that had musical theater night, you know, pretty low key. Bring your straight friends. They'll be fine. Um, There was one bar in Chicago called, interestingly enough, Berlin um, Uh that um, Berlin's open till like four. And you never know what you're going to get into when you show up. There was one time at Berlin where I watched a drag queen on stage throw a drink at a bachelorette party that had come to Berlin. (laughs) Like, there's... Do you know who it was? Some local Chicago drag queen. I know, but they're really good. It's it's amazing that I remember that fact of the night at all. Um, But it is... You know, there's definitely a a subculture in this kind of like unapologetic, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. We're queer. I don't even care if you deal with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the existence. thing. It's like, yeah, you're in you're in our space now. So yeah. And, and that's the thing what, is, is you can always trust a drag queen to handle herself. Yeah, like. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's what Hedwig comes out of. And I do think that's one of the you know, for better or for worse, when maybe hearkening back a little bit, when the discussion of like, is this musical transphobic? I mean, it's not, it's born out of gay drag culture more so. And there are some problems kind of conflating drag queens with Hedwig's persona um, about, you know, being trans maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But it's... That's why context is important. It's why the origin is important. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone loves an origin story. Look at the woman I become. And the strangest things seem suddenly routine. I look up from my vermouth. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Speaking of origins, uh-huh. let's talk about the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the, well, not the first song, but kind of the first song. Yeah. Uh, the, this the is show. a thing. When I finally write my manifesto on how musical theater exists, I would call the origin of love the first song of the show. Exactly. Um, I think exactly. there are like some setup songs in most shows that like give you the exposition and introduce the characters. And then you yeah. finally hit the first song, which is like, okay, I now have enough context that I can understand what the show's about. And so I exactly. think The Origin of Love is that song in the show. Completely and utterly. Um, so, well, first of all, talk, talk to us a little bit about what what it is. Yeah, The Origin of the Love is... is it exists kind of outside of the story and is where this becomes more than just a narrative story about these characters. Um, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a myth that Hedwig is retelling. Yeah. It's Aristophanes, I know that much. It is Aristophanes. I want to look it up, hold on. Uh, Aristophanes' um, So the origin of love is, is loosely based on a speech Aristophanes gave in Plato's Symposium. Um, that's this idea of how pre-humans used to exist, um, yeah. and that there were three kinds of creatures. Children yeah. of the sun, children of the earth, and children of the moon. Um, And they were all basically what we would consider two people attached. Um, So children of the sun were two men attached, children of the earth were two women attached, and children of the moon were a man and a woman attached. And then the gods got angry. And interestingly, they, like, in this song, Thor talks to Zeus and uh-huh. we're we're crossing belief systems to begin exactly. with and I think they this continue is in the to next do that Marvel movie i'm not 100% sure but i think it, i think this is the origin great, the origin of love infinity wars um, yeah oh my god that would be great and they, they uh, yeah. bring up but, no, sorry, they bring up indian gods and egyptian gods um, but so the gods got mad that these creatures existed attached to each other and so zeus split them apart with lightning bolts and yeah. then they were you know cast to the winds and this is why it's the origin of love it is your yeah. destiny in life to find the person you were previously separated from exactly um, and it's um, and that when mm-hmm. And when you have sex, that's you. You're making that communion to try and mm-hmm. put yourselves back together again, right? Um, um, and it is so. Immediately, we have a bunch of fascinating things happening here. We're bringing mm-hmm. up, you know, 
these kind of old world stories um, yeah. that immediately imply homosexuality and queerness and, you know, gender fluidity and these sorts of things from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And like not, you know, this is not some late 90s American saying these things. This is Aristophanes. like um, Yeah, exactly. And so there's already this kind of context of like, this is this is how things are deal with it um mm-hmm. and then it, it's also of course setting up hedwig to you know be searching for her love throughout this which is why she kind of justifies following tommy along on his tour but also mm-hmm. has to deal with her relationship with uh yitzhak throughout um and yeah. like who who is your destined other half throughout the whole thing um mm-hmm. and then it also sets up the idea that this tale of hedwig also exists in this kind of mythical parable, you know, learn from me metaphorical kind of stature um, that this story is about more than just the explicit things that happen in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the thing is uh, this is one of these things as, as you listen and or watch Hedwig more and more and more, you start to wonder how real is this story? How right. uh, does it, ex- obviously it doesn't exist, it's fiction, but as in, is it existing in any moment? Or mm-hmm. is this a parable? Is yeah. this, um, you know, is it is it myth? Yeah. Um, because I've read some really, really interesting theories about kind of Hedwig and Tommy mm-hmm. um, and their relationship. And um, it does get a little bit blurred towards the end and, and it gets a little bit frenetic yeah um so basically at the, at the end of the show or towards the end of the show um hedwig kind of has a breakdown over mm-hmm. over tommy mm-hmm. um strips completely down to uh, just pants mm-hmm. uh, removes the wig and, and kind of de-drags yeah um and then performs mm-hmm. as tommy knows yeah. yeah uh and then returns back to being hedwig again mm-hmm. uh and ends the show um and there is because it's very odd mm-hmm. so, so, because the thing is is up until that point you've just been watching a rock concert and right. it's all very much you know yeah. naturalistic right around you very immersive in many ways yeah. well and um, the, and the story you, you hear is very like it's direct address it's like i'm going to tell you the backstory how we got here but this exactly. moment where hedwig kind of becomes tommy maybe yeah is not um, explicitly so, addressed. Yeah, and so that's the thing, is it's like, well, is he becoming Tommy, or is he still being Hedwig? And then you kind of ask this question of, well, did Tommy ever exist? Mm-hmm. And, you know, are these two, just two parts of the same whole, trying to fit themselves together? Um, like they said in The Origin of Love. Yeah. Um, and then, interestingly, as a part of that, um, during that sequence, Yitzhak leaves stage and comes back entirely, you know, portraying as woman in yeah. a beautiful wig and a fabulous dress while, you know, Hedwig, maybe Tommy, has, like, taken the wig off, is entirely shirtless, yeah. um, like, without boobs. Like, there's a lot of implications there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't... They, there's no explanation. That's where the show ends. Like, the song ends, exactly. the lights go down, and they bow. 
Um, and so, you know, there is no correct interpretation, but yeah, there are sure. lots of interpretations. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's fantastic because that's like, that's some proper like theater there. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And it really makes this show kind of stand out mm-hmm. in that respect because you do leave thinking because you're, it's not just, uh, here's a nice, it's also not a very happy ending in no. many ways. Yeah. Um, you feel, you feel good for Yitzhak because, you know, she gets to be in drag again and, and that's what, what she wants, but you feel immensely bad for Hedrick who never really isn't happy yeah. again. Like after the breakdown, that's where, that's where she stays. Yeah. Um, for the rest of the show. And that's if, for your hero. That's mm. what, um, you know, you want your hero to be happy. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't get that. So you have to kind of wonder why. And um, yeah, it leaves you a bit like, huh. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, it makes, it adds to the big question mark that is this show. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's really, really very smart in that way. Um, an interesting thing they did in the film, mm-hmm. um, basically the film ends with a weird like cartoon mock-up mm-hmm. um which you see i mean i've only ever seen the off-broadway version not not in person but we won't talk about that <laughs> um or like you know a fringe version but mm-hmm. they didn't do this in the fringe version um but the the off-broadway version ends and the curtain comes down and it's uh this like man's face half man face half female face kind mm-hmm. of merged together yeah um and the film ends with this cartoon of this man face and this woman face trying to mm-hmm. uh, come together, and it ends yeah. up in just this big ball of cytoplasm and, yeah. you know, mitochondria. Well, that's, that's the that's the origin of love thing. I mean, they exactly. do the whole animation throughout the thing, which mm-hmm. is so. I've only, and maybe we'll talk about this in a second, but in when it was off Broadway, John Cameron Mitchell performed on the Rosie O'Donnell show, yeah, and they did origin of love and as they performed it they projected a very rudimentary version of this animation the, the origin cartoon, of love right, yeah, behind yeah, yeah. them um and so I, that seems sort of integral to the storytelling uh-huh, exactly. is like the visualization of these two people becoming one person yeah and i think um, i think it's like having it having it at the end mm-hmm. of the film it, it does that thing of reminds you like this is what we've been talking about all along is that it's just, you know, trying to get together, trying to connect. Yeah. Um, in whatever way that is. Um, yeah. It makes Wicked Little Town, mm-hmm. um, again, very questionable because is it Hedwig hearing Tommy mm-hmm. sing this song? Is it Hedwig at Tommy's show watching Tommy sing this song? Right. Is it Hedwig wanting to hear this song? So makes it yeah. happen in his head or... You know, did the song ever exist? Is it Hedwig apologizing to himself? Yeah, I mean, kind that's forgiving himself for all of this of, conflict. Half the question like, of the show is like, who is who is Hedwig's other half? Is it Tommy or is it Yitzhak? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the conclusion the show wants us to get is that it's Yitzhak, but uh-huh. also it's complicated. Yeah, completely, completely. Um, I really, I love buying into that uh, much more metaphorical idea, though. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I think it, it it feeds into that kind of glam rock era, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, Queen would often uh, like have mythology in their music. Bowie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many questions that you ask with these icons, mm-hmm. um, and they do leave you hanging, and you never really know what they were meaning. Right. Um, 
And I love that. I think it just fit, it fits yeah. into that world really, really well. And there was three sexes, then one that looked like two men glued up back to back. They called the children of the sun. And similar in shape and girth was the children of the earth. They looked like two girls rolled up in one. And the children of the moon was like a fork stuck on a spoon. They was pots and potters, potters and pots So, Jimmy, you know the show resulted in a minor Tony's controversy that actually uh, created a rule change. Thank goodness. Is I what know. I say to that. So, the 2014 pre- revival, quote unquote, of this show was, yeah. you know, this this is the Neil Patrick Harris one. This is the one that was on the Tony Awards that did very well. Um, but so, the revival rules for the Tony Awards, you're considered a revival for two reasons Mm -hmm. one of two reasons either you've previously played in a broadway theater so like you've previously been eligible for a tony award which seems 100 percent legitimate like we shouldn't be voting for oklahoma every time it gets revived or anything goes every time it gets revived is like a brand new musical Uh um or the second reason you can be considered a revival is something like if your show has entered the popular canon yeah. and so is considered to be a quote-unquote classic. And yeah. this has bit a couple shows in the butt. Um, yeah. Hedwig was one of those. It only ever played off-Broadway until 2014 when it had its on-Broadway premiere yeah. but was in the revival category. The yeah. same thing happened to Falsettos this previous year. Yeah. Falsettos and Assassins as well. And Assassins, yeah. Another Neil Patrick Harris. It's the Neil Patrick Harris curse, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's probably what it is. He yeah, you know, dooms is. any show he's in. Um, <laughs> but so all these shows that never played Broadway immediately get put in the revival camp, which at first seems fine. You get nominated yeah. for revival, that's great. But if you're in the revival category... You're not eligible for any of the creative author awards. There's not a Tony Award for best book of a revival. Yeah. or be- Because the assumption is you were already eligible for that because you played Broadway already. But exactly. there are these minor exceptions. So John Cameron Mitchell was never eligible for a Tony Award for the show he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it won best revival of a musical, John Cameron Mitchell does not have a Tony Award yeah. for this show that he wrote yeah. because of this weird revival rule. And yeah. so post-2014, uh, they actually changed the rules so that on the list of people nominated for revivals, it also includes the creatives alongside the producers because mm-hmm. the producers used to be just the people who get the Tonys. But yeah, now exactly. the book writer, the music writer, the lyric writer... Um, also get to go up on stage and hold a Tony and all that jazz. Which is totally, like, thank goodness. Yeah. I will say they instituted that rule the same year they took took away the sound design category. (laughs) So, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Exactly. But we're getting that back next next season. Getting that back, thank God. The Tonys will be perfect one day. (laughs) Yeah. One day. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's... it's a shame because I mean, obviously, one they all be right, uh, which Back is all well and good. Off Broadway, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Because, but like the one that 
you know, to call it the Tony mm-hmm. Award winning uh, John Kevin Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, because this is his show. It is his I mean? show. Neil, yeah. Neil Patrick Harris did a fantastic job, but he didn't originate the role. Right. The role is 100% John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. And it's just, I find it such a sin that he never got... Yeah. I mean, everyone knows who he is in Lola, but right. like, uh, it, it's that extra honour that you want. Yeah. Do you know well, I mean? and it's, it's that extra the, I've always struggled with, so both the best musical and best revival of a musical and best play and best revival of a play, Tony Awards, go to the producers of the show. Yeah. Um, which seems like from a bygone era, um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. back when, you know, one producer produced your show and like was with you out of town and like, and like certainly there are similar shows and similar roles on Broadway, but like these things are produced by yeah. sp- great teams of people or yeah. Disney or yeah, Universal. Exactly. Um, and is, I mean, there are, st- there's definitely socials out there who do have small, come from smaller teams and smaller mm-hmm. stocks, but you're very right that the majority are, you know, right. And like are when Tony voters vote, are they voting on how well these producers produced this musical, which yeah. to a certain extent has a lot to do with like the money pushing and talent hiring mm-hmm. or, are they voting on like the show mm-hmm. and how entertaining it was? Yeah, which certainly the producers have a secondary role in. Yeah, but you know, I think the producers of Hedwig and the Angry Inch have left less to do with the success of it than oh, I don't know, John Cameron Mitchell did. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know. I find <laughs> that, I do think that's such a tricky one, and I don't. I don't really know the answer because, like, if, you know, if you watch something like Theater Talk, where mm-hmm. they get in uh, critics. Mm-hmm. Um, and experts and people who have been on on the the committee, um, they they don't really have an answer for it either. So I don't I don't yeah. know how they decide these things. Yeah, Maybe they're just making it all. Well, up. I don't I don't know if there's a way to fix it either. Because like, no, I, no. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go tell all those potential Broadway producers that they're not going to be eligible to like take home a Tony Award anymore. Like, yeah, exactly. I, and this that, I might, mean, we're not. I'm not saying producers don't do work. No, oh, absolutely. They're, they do a lot. Work, of work their butts off. Um, um, I don't know. This is a problem with awards. Um, But so interestingly, what do you think about like this show that was workshopped in uh, at the squeeze box in these shady underground venues? Yeah. Hitting a big Broadway house. I know it's odd. So the way that they did it um, to make it work in terms of the context is is, is site specific in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, and obviously Hedwig is there and he's in a Broadway house for the first time. And they're not pretending that it's a dive bar. They, they, they're very much pretending that, no, yeah, that it's a, a Broadway house. Um, mm. So what they do, and I think it's so smart, um, is that uh, they make up this fictional story um, that <laughs> uh, someone was creating Hurt Locker, the musical, coming to you soon, probably. Um, <laughs> Hurt Locker, the musical, and that um, it got foreclosed. Uh, and so the house was just empty, so they were able to persuade uh, the I don't know, the people of the theatre that they could mm-hmm. go in and use the space yeah. um, as is. So the set and everything is, is all from Hurt Locker the Musical. There's playbills scattered around, mm-hmm. all from full, Hurt Locker the Musical. Full-on playbills, which incidentally is where our trivia question comes from. Um, the author of the music and lyrics for Hurt Locker is listed as Stephen R. Schwartz, which is exactly. Stephen Trask's real name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Very good. But I don't know. You, I think you'd start to lose something there. Yeah. Because it's p- 
part of the experience mm-hmm. is the intimacy of it. Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, the squeeze box, the Don Hill Club, mm-hmm. had a capacity of 150. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's where that's where that started. It started where you could see the person in the back and you could comment on them mm-hmm. and call them out. Yeah. But when you're in a Broadway house, you can't really do that properly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So here's here's my retort. I think contractually obligated reference, if Great Comet can make it from a tiny tent in the meatpacking mm-hmm. district to a full-on stage that still feels equally as immersive, yeah. So can Hedwig. I don't know if they did, because like, you know, Great Comet went through wonderful pains to uh-huh. make it immersive and intimate and this kind mm-hmm. of environmental thing. And I don't know if Hedwig did quite the same amount of. No, I mean they didn't. No, it was still on stage. You know I mean, if you were um, if you were sitting up in the the rear maze, yeah, you're just you weren't kind of squinting. getting a lovely interaction with Neil Patrick Harris. Like yes, that's true. Um, and I just think as well, though, like, you know, Great Comet is a show of opulence. Hedwig mm-hmm. isn't a show of, op- it, it isn't, you know, I mean, it's literally one guy on a stage right. telling a story. It's a it's a um, sticky floor kind of show. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is you would want the sticky floor. You would want the smell of stale beer. You would want mm-hmm. the, like, pan stick stink yeah. um, that you get from a really good drag show. Like, that's the kind of things that make this mm-hmm. an experience and then mm-hmm. allow you to kind of transport yourself because... With you know, with these songs, they are they're proper rock songs. They're not mm-hmm. like I said, they're not lovely narrative yarns. Yeah. Um and I think you need that environment, like that yeah. environment of a really good rock concert to allow you to kind of steep yourself in this yeah. metaphorical buzz. Yeah. Um, so I I agree. Here's my my devil's advocate. Absolutely. Um, this show is filled with wonderful artistry and metaphor and social commentary that everyone should see yeah i would never be able to convince my mother to see this show at the squeeze box yeah i would be able to convince her to see neil patrick harris from the last row of the mez where we know neil patrick harris isn't gonna car wash her like Mm -hmm. standing over her seat Mm -hmm. and she'd absolutely go see it um i mean she'd be missing out let's just she would be start by saying that right like i will go sit in the front row and she can sit back there uh (laughs) but um yeah, like, I know. I do know. What I you think mean, but... there's some there's some value to that. Mm-hmm. Oh no, like, definitely. And we we talked about this back with Hello Dolly, like yeah. bringing these things to a more Wonder Bread kind of audience. Uh-huh. is a big deal. It is a big deal, and I do agree. And that you know, being able to reach the masses, mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. But I feel like you're not actually really seeing authentic Hedwig. Then what yeah. you're seeing is. Um, it will be a slightly watered down version of it, you know, a Broadway house version of Hedwig. I, yeah, I think I'm okay with that. Like to see uh, Neil Patrick Harris make out with his husband on the Tony Awards on primetime television, dressed entirely in drag in yeah. the middle of a song from Hedwig. I will trade that for the minor changes they'll make. Yeah, for Giant completely, house. completely. But I know that um, if I was seeing it, mm-hmm. I would, I would want to see the the dive bar version. Because yeah. that's the thing that's going to make me feel a lot more yeah. than just seeing the Broadway House version. That's um, true. For sure. And that's because, like, the only time I have actually seen it was in a tiny little fringe venue. Mm-hmm. And I was standing for the whole show. Yeah. Like, that's what I, that's what I want. 
Yeah. And because you, you're like, this is it. This is yeah. this is a rock concert. Oh, that's and a perfect place. I mean, all of these things come back to you. you know? If I, I mean, we, the infamously when uh, Jimmy and I were in New York and we stumbled into a gay bar that we knew nothing about that yeah. had a surprise drag show that night. Yeah, um, Kija Car. Let's just shout out to oh, Kija Car. It was fabulous and wonderful. Um, but like, if I stumbled into a bar out of nowhere and they were doing Hedwig, I would die. I'd be there all night. That'd be it. I'd be done. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it would be a perfect way to spend my night. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, here we go. I'm gonna make a, make this little shout out. Mm-hmm. Go do go do that. Like yeah. if you if you, I mean, first of all, if you're queer, then you should be going to these places anyway because mm-hmm. they're part they're part of your world. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not even, do yeah. just go because you can. There's some magic that can happen at a drag show. They mm-hmm. really really can. Mm-hmm. Um, some are awful. Some are some absolutely are awful. awful. But but they're uh, hella fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. At the end of the day, they really are. But there can be these really strong moments of, mm-hmm. of pathos, and especially now, like drag. Of you know, RuPaul will always say it, I'm obsessed with drag culture, so I'll go off on it right now. Mm-hmm. But RuPaul will always say that. Um, you know, drag will never be mainstream. But mm-hmm. I feel like we're getting as close to it. You know, a multi Emmy Award not on nominated show. Yeah. Um now it, you know, what, drag didn't race. it move to MTV this year? Like it's um VH uh, VH one one, I, I think. Um, I don't have cable. Um, and yeah, so like it's it's much bigger. Yeah. Um and obviously drag isn't doesn't equal drag race, but right. people would now be like I want to see a drag queen and they'll go yeah. see someone like Alaska, for example, in the yeah. show, in the club. There's, and there's an SNL skit about it. They play like giant all state arenas now. Yeah, exactly. But like, so what they would do is they go see Alaska in their local club where they're playing, but there'll be one of the local queens will do like a, what do you call that? Like pre-show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll get to see them. They'll be like, oh, I really, really like them. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they'll go back and maybe, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll start to see more. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, it's well, it's it's our and... it's our history, and like then you become Absolutely. like as the, you become part of the oral history of our early existence. You know, For this sure. is the Stonewall riots. This is what started the current LGBTQ revolution. Absolutely, um, and you have a chance to like literally be a part of that just by experiencing it and able to being able to tell someone else about it. I genuinely, um, I, I, and this this might sound a bit weird, but like. I, when I am watching a good drag show, and if they make any sort of like revolutionary comment, I am so with them, and I genuinely I'm like, I am here, I am history, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I mean, I yeah. am woman, hear me roar. It's, like, it's really empowering. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a good reminder too of like everything from who we are to what we do to the struggle to the revolution to the power, like all rolled up in, you know stupid drunk jokes yeah um yeah yeah it's really it's really empowering so go see a drag show go see a drag show go to it now my dad saw a drag show what one who do you know who it was no i have no idea my my i wasn't there my lesbian cousins got married and of course he doesn't remember my lesbian cousin got married um Uh and the wedding after party was at a drag show and my my very kind very nice very you know chicago roman catholic father um like went to the drag show with the family um Uh and like him and my uncle were like sitting in the back and whispering each to each other the whole time being like is that a guy wait that one's a guy 
is that a guy? And then as my dad tells the story, some drag queen came up behind him and said, honey, they're all men. Absolutely. It's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite, this is completely unrelated. I'm not even put it in the podcast. One of my favorite quotes um, from Scissor Sisters. This is how mm-hmm. I know everything I've said in this podcast, by the way. I mm-hmm. give everything to Scissor Sisters. Uh but one of the, my favorite quotes is, is Jake says, he's like, none of us are lesbians. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think that's so Because everyone's always like, so are y'all gay? And they always, this concert is like, none of us are lesbians. That's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> Thank you. Was Hedwig and the Angry Inch? Yeah, it was. Oh, there you go. What there you great go. Show. I had fun with this one. I sure, tell me. I got a quiz question for you. I'm so ready. Which musical, surprisingly, was inspired by a story about a broken elevator that one of the authors made up to appease his child? Interesting. What could it be? I don't know. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> oh, so I do, I do. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can. Um, you can go and find me over on Twitter at Asin Hendrix and YouTube at the exact same handle. And I'm Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theater Mash on YouTube, or check out our show Twitter at Jim and Tomic. Yes, or you can hop over to our website, jimandtomic.com, which has a link to our Reddit discussion where we will be chatting the hell up about Hedwig. I'm Woo! expecting some head heads over there. Head heads. I love that they're head heads. And now head we heads get... unite. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's it. Tell your friends. Leave a review. All that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye, kids. Bye. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise.